A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Tuesday morning, the 11th of July. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. At 11 o'clock this morning, the Public Accounts Committee will meet. At 3 o'clock, the Media Committee meets. The two committees have a combined membership of 26 TDs and Senators. All are on standby to interrogate and to get to the truth. In the dock, Ryan Tuberty and his agent Agent Noel Kelly, who will take questions about the abuse of public money by RTE, which paid Tuberty €345,000 more than it had publicly stated, when at the same time it was claiming Tuberty had taken a pay cut. That falsehood was never corrected by Tuberty. In fact, Tuberty was party to misleading the Oireachtas and the licence fee holder, telling media in interviews he had actually taken a pay cut. Let's speak. Uh, to Shane Castles, a Fianna Fáil Senator and a member of the Oireachtas Committee on Media and a very good morning to you and thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, have you received documentation at this stage from Ryan Turbrizzi or his agent Noel Kelly? Uh, good morning, Michael. Yeah, we've, we've just literally received a, a, a document dump in the last half an hour and um, there is some amount of documents to go through. There's 41 pages of um, different um, various contracts from past contracts from Ryan Turberty, invoices, emails between RT executive and Noel Kelly management, um, some amounts of it redacted, and then also opening statements from Ryan Turberty himself and Noel Kelly, uh, the tone of which I can say is quite bullish. So I think we can, for those people that will be tuning in today and wondering about whether this was going to be a conciliatory tone or a uh, a meeting of the what this is a this is a very bullish tone uh, certainly from Noel Kelly uh, so I think from this early start of the day we can we can say that's going to it's going to set the tone these guys are, are coming out swinging well Noel Kelly has a, a job to do and that's to make money and there's nothing wrong with that absolutely not but I suppose what what when I say it's bullish it is bullish towards RT management uh, Michael in that um, he is. From and as I said, you, you you might just bear with me because there's been a lot of documents just literally landed on our lap, and I'm just trying to read through them. Uh, but his his statements are very much stating that uh, RTE uh, have been setting out the full 
facts from their position uh, when they've been coming in uh, before the Oireachtas committees over the last two weeks, um, in particular around items such as the uh, underwriting of the uh, Renault contract, the, the €75,000 payment and who uh, first came up with this idea. Um, Mr Kelly states quite clearly in his opening statement that he says, you will see in the emails that we've attached that the idea of a commercial sponsorship with a third party for an annual fee of 75000 is first suggested comes from RTE. Uh, so he's quite clear in that it was RTE who came up with the idea of payments um, of balance sheet towards Ryan Tuberty and not uh, him or, or Ryan Tuberty. Uh, and when he talks about the underwriting of this decision, and he has put this in bold, which he uses on quite a number of occasions in a statement and underlined it, he says this is perhaps the most shocking revelation uh, this morning. Uh, and he talks about having uh, emails uh, between uh, former chief financial officers uh, in RTE and himself uh, stating that they were the ones that came up with these ideas. They knew about it and that they have emails uh, to prove this. And that evidence given last week uh, was clearly not in line with what the emails that they have. Mm. OK, uh, I suppose... Um even if that is correct, it still begs the question of Ryan Tuberty. Um, was he okay with that? Uh, well, I think I think this is this again. I you know this. I think this why was he okay with that? Yeah, well, why is, why was he okay with being paid by Renault uh, when he was working for RTE? Yeah, and and again, like I mean, I go back to three weeks ago, and, and the very first evening on which this broke, and I, I was asked a question about what I thought about Ryan Tuberty's uh, statement that he was shocked, which of course had changed by the following day. And in his uh, statement uh, that is going to be read out this morning, uh, he goes through what he calls a number of untruths, and he has seven untruths that he feels are made. And I suppose, you know, this is his first opportunity to speak after three weeks of being in the public glare. But it's not until the very last point, the last uh, page of the statement, that um, he, he, he eventually says that he takes full responsibility for not asking more questions back in January 2021 when the figures were released, and he says he takes responsibility for that. Uh, but he says that there are those who are involved in attempting to conceal payments and who were in a position to call him or his agent and asking uh, for help in establishing the full fact. But the reality is, is that he knew that the figures in the public domain uh, weren't correct either. So He also knew that uh, he hadn't taken the pay cut he was telling members of uh, the media he had in interviews he was given at that time. Yeah, well, actually, and again, Michael, you'll just you'll have to bear with me. Mm, yes, I know you've uh, just received these huge, long, long documents uh, and uh, you're trying to pick pieces out of them without having had time to prepare. Uh, there's a question about that, uh, probably more so for the Public Accounts Committee members who have to ask questions at 11 o'clock, given that it was close to 9 o'clock before they received these documents. Uh, you have a bit more time because it'll be 3 o'clock before your committee meets uh, uh, the two people in question, uh, but you'd have to ask yourself: uh, Was that done intentionally to wrongfoot the members of the public accounts committee? Wouldn't you? Uh, absolutely, and I mean that's. I mean it's 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 clearly not acceptable when you know people are using the words like they're bouncing around words like transparency and openness and so forth. Uh, and and there's obviously very very detailed correspondence that has been provided uh, this morning with emails dating back to 2019 on the contract agreements between uh, Breed O'Keefe, the then financial officer, and uh, Noel Kelly, uh, and, how they arra- and how they came to an arrangement for 
uh, Ryan Tuberty and what he would be expected to do. Ryan Tuberty, as I said, um, has, has come out swinging, saying um, on that issue of pay cuts, he's claiming that it, that is an untruth. He said, this is not true. He is saying that I took a 20% pay cut from RTE uh, in his 2020 to 2025 contract. Uh, he used the words, that's it, nothing to see here. He goes, I took a pay cut. I'm obliged to do X amount of shows. I'm an independent contractor. I get no pension or entitlements. He goes, be clear, he says, I took a pay cut of 20% for each of the five years at a cost of over half a million to me over the length of that contract. So that's his opening gambit uh, on page one, right at the start of a statement. Uh, so he, he is coming out saying that. Now, of course, there is another aspect of this. Mm. He equally reduced the amount of working hours uh, quite in terms of less shows, uh, less time on air. So, I mean, it wasn't like, even if you were to accept the premise of uh, he, was, he was taking a pay cut, he was obviously doing less mm. work for, um, for, for the pay. You're only saying... Sure. In RTE who were doing the same work for less pay. Mm. You know? And you're only seeing this document now. You don't know if uh, that statement, uh, which uh, claims he took this pay cut, includes the arrangement, the €75,000 that wasn't declared publicly by RTE. Yeah, well, um, again, Michael, no, Kelly does refer that to it mm. in, his, in, his, in his statement, and I'm just trying to find it here. Yeah. I mean, they're, 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 they're contesting that. Uh, that's what I would say. So okay. it would be interesting when, when, we, when we expand on that. They're, they're saying clearly that wasn't um, a, 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 a commercial deal. They're, they're saying that it's, 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 it's a deal that they say RTE dreamed up and not them. So, mm. um, yeah. th- okay, that's, that's and a commercial deal. So it wasn't RTE money to begin with. Uh, so maybe there was a pay cut if you don't count it. If you do count it, maybe there wasn't a pay cut. And given the fact that RTE underwrote it, uh, it'll be interesting to hear uh, whether that's included or not. Uh, probably unfair of me to be asking you questions about this document that you've only received. Uh, and I think that's the point. Uh, very uh, difficult for the members of uh, the Public Accounts Committee to start asking questions about these documents uh, in an hour and a half from now because it'll take uh, probably that long to read through them, it would seem, let alone uh, to start start making sense of it and formulating uh, the questions in your mind about uh, what is at play here. But this money, uh, as we know from that letter to D4, from D Forbes to Ryan Tuberty, uh, that said RTE would underwrite the agreement, uh, was money that was paid to Total Productions Limited. Um, that's another name for Ryan Tuberty, is it? Or, or does Total Productions do anything other than sending Ryan Tuberty to work at RTE? Yeah, so that that is obviously the the, the holding company that he uses as 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 a self-employed uh, person. Um, just again, just actually looking through documents here as I'm as I'm speaking to you, I'm looking at an email from RTE uh, to uh, Noel Kelly, which D Forbes has cc'd on uh, back in February of 2020. Uh, as these negotiations were going on uh, and it's clear obviously that the negotiations were going back and forth uh, and RTE saying that, that, that they could meet uh, Noel Kelly and Ryan Turbley ha- halfway on uh, what these uh, pay uh, contracts would be and representing what would be a 12% reduction on the last published earnings for Ryan Turbley but they did say that they had to be cognizant given that RTE's commitment was to reduce top talent by 15%. So they're admitting themselves uh, that they weren't reaching the, the reductions that they had set out for themselves. And in respect of the €75,000, they said that uh, €75,000 would be paid from a commercial relationship 
and we have progressed discussions with a third party and look forward to discussing this with you, Noel, in more detail next Tuesday. So it's clear from that email that RTE are actually admitting that uh, they, they initiated the, the process because they're the ones talking out progressing discussions with a third party, obviously, to present to them. Mm. Um, so it's, as I said, Michael, it's, it, you, you are right. I mean, in terms of how this is, is, is being done, um, you would think that if, if from Noel Kelly and Ryan Turbley's point of view, if they feel that all of these documents actually, in their mind, exonerate them and actually uh, give what they see as a lever of clarity, that they would have provided this uh, yesterday uh, to allow people the opportunity because again in terms of the attitude that we've seen we've seen the attitude and I said this to you from the outset uh, three weeks ago of people coming in they came in with an attitude of, of non-cooperation quite frankly what has happened a bit like the FAI the board is now all gone mm. uh, so what I predicted two and a half weeks ago uh, that people would be gone the, the entire board is now gone on the executive board and here we have Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly coming in today obviously quite bullish in their defence but, you know, doing a document dump uh, for the PAC's point of view, from my point of view, I'm going to have a little bit more time now to read through this before we commence at 3 o'clock and see what answers they give to the PAC at 11 o'clock. Mm. Uh, and uh, you'll be looking over some of Ryan Tuberty's contracts from over the years. There's a number of contracts, I believe, have been provided to you. Uh, will you get the opportunity to look at the accounts of total productions? No, from what they... Um, the um, documents that have been provided, again, Michael, and I'm just mm. looking through that, the uh, Ryan Turbley accounts um, are listed towards the end, but they're, they're, they're very heavily redacted, very, very heavily redacted. So there is a, there is a report for total productions, uh, a director's report, and unaudited financial statements for 2020, uh, but they are, they're, they're, they're heavily redacted. They're, they're mm. simply... Income from RTE, income from uh, so there's okay. there's nothing much more in them uh, beyond what's in the public domain because they're so heavily redacted. Mm. Uh, and when you say a, a director's report, uh, is that Ryan Tuberty? Yes. I mean, is there anybody else involved in total productions? Uh, in, in, indeed, and this and, and and this goes to the nature. But I, I would say that in, in respect of that and, and those and, and what you've said. Um, Ryan Tuberty has again come out fighting in, in his perspective. He, as I said, he makes the point that he is, uh, you know, he's he's a self-employed uh, person. He he makes these comments about mm. taking pay cuts. He says he pays his own pension contribution. So, oh, well, that's because he's not an employee. Uh, exactly, I mean, exactly. he doesn't get sick days. He doesn't get holidays. Uh, his employer doesn't pay PRSI. Uh, they don't make any pension contributions. Uh, if uh, he was an employee, maybe there would be an RTE pension, I suppose. Uh, and uh, I think uh, it's always been claimed that these arrangements benefit both parties uh, because of uh, the way that they're set up uh, and obviously uh, Ryan Turbity needs to have a holding company or a company or, or some way of invoicing RTE for the work he, he does that's called Total Productions Limited but what else does Total Productions do uh, and what else uh, ha- has it uh, been accounting for it may be a- an interesting uh, way of looking at how he's paid by RTE and if there are any other payments there Yeah and I suppose in, in that respect his agent who seems to be doing a lot of the from, from the from the written text, anyway, a lot of the kind of bullish fighting, uh, he has come out in, in full defence of Ryan Tuberty's earnings on the basis that he says, he goes, so to conclude, he said, uh, for the past number of years, 
Ryan has continued to perform at the highest level, working with colleagues in leading shows. And as he put it, these, are, these shows are bringing in tens of millions in commercial income and they raise tens of millions for charities through the Thai Show Appeal and through COVID appeals and so on. He goes on to say that we've heard a lot about RTE's public service ethos. He goes, let's call a spade a spade. He said RTE is a hybrid organisation and its commercial activities are key to keeping this station afloat, maintaining the jobs in RTE and creating content. And he said Ryan Tuberty has been a huge driver of RTE's successful commercial activities for the past 14 years. He said Ryan and I have attracted horrendous criticism and abuse in the past few weeks because he is such a high profile and successful figure in Ireland and he's been made the poster boy for this scandal. That is undeserved. So that's the concluding mm. uh, remarks of, of Noel Kelly. So as I said, he is making the case that um, RTE is not just a public service provider, but it is, it, it is a half a commercial operation as well, that Ryan Tuberty is the man who brings in the big books that uh, fo- keeps the ship afloat. And that seems to be his uh, line of defence today. Uh, and it's, as I said, it's, it's, it's very much a, an attitude of coming out fighting um, right from the get-go. Mm. You may be right uh, if uh, pubs are screening this uh, this morning, uh, as we heard yesterday, uh, uh, if uh, people are, are going to tune into an Oireachtas committee hearing, let alone two of them, uh, if uh, they're the most watched Oireachtas committees ever in history, which is most likely and quite possibly the highest ratings Ryan Tuberty has ever had. <laughs> maybe, maybe he is worth it. <laughs> Maybe and maybe we might all need the pub by the end of this by the end of these uh, two hearings as well. But I mean, it's very serious because it goes to the heart. And I think that's why Kevin Backhurst yesterday uh, took the decisions that he took. Uh, and I think people like um, you know R- Rory Coveney could see the writing on the wall Sunday when he fell on his sword on Sunday because the the, the clear the clear out that was happened uh, was required in terms of uh, restoring public trust. But what is clear from Ryan Turbidy and he ends his statement on this, he says. He is hopeful that he's going to be back on the air very, very soon. Kevin Backhurst was less affirmative when he was questioned on the news last night about a return of Ryan Tuberty to the air when he said, well, let's see how these committee hearings goes and the week pans out. The fact that the tone has been so bullish and that RT are being accused of, um, you know, certain acts by, by his agent this morning, you know, one would one would wonder whether that return to air is as guaranteed as, as Ryan seems to believe in his closing statement. All right. Well, there's uh, a bit of a, a way to go in between. Uh, starting at uh, 11 o'clock with the Public Accounts Committee, then your committee, the Media Committee, at 3 o'clock. It's going to be a very interesting day. At least there'll be an awful lot of interest in what happens. Uh, and thank you for joining us in advance to set the scene for us uh, this morning. That is Fianna Fáil Senator Shane Castles, who's a member of the Iraq Committee on Media. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, uh, there was a, a lot of remarkable things about uh, that cigarette factory in Jenkinstown. Uh, I'm sure you, you remember uh, the raid on it uh, some five years ago. Indeed, uh, I'm sure you heard the court report on LMFM News yesterday, producing three million cigarettes a day, uh, a loss to the exchequer of 1.2 million euro a day. Uh, incredible stuff and a, a very professional organisation uh, and setup. But I thought the most remarkable thing was that they were advertising in situations vacant uh, for staff. Uh, there was an ad on a, a job ad site on a website in Lithuania. 
<laughs> that's a, the size of the operation. Uh, when it was raided, uh, 11 people uh, were found on site uh, and uh, that resulted in the court case yesterday and uh, indeed the sentencing of uh, these men. Let's speak to Benny Gilson, spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling. Uh, a very good morning to you, Benny, and thanks indeed uh, for joining us. We were only talking to you last week about a huge seizure of cigarettes in Dublin. Uh, obviously, this trade has not ended. And as we were discussing last week, that's because there's a market. People want cheap cigarettes. More evidence of that in the last week as well, with contraband worth over €100,000 seized in Louth. This is obviously massive, massive business when you consider the scale uh, that uh, these uh, criminals are, are working with in terms of the amount of cigarettes that they're selling. That's quite correct, Michael, and uh, it tells us exactly what has happened. You know, when you see volumes like that being seized, how much of these illegal cigarettes are actually coming into the country? Because like yesterday we see that it was 80,000 cigarettes, uh, 40,000 40, worth of uh, roll-your-own tobacco, mm. and 6,500 six in cash seized yesterday and then again on top of that we have the court case from the Jenkinstown uh, factory which operated on a 24-7 base uh, you know at the time that was uh, captured you know it was news all over the place yes here they are they're still at it these same people are at it and uh, they're bringing in large larger and larger quantities all of the time Right, uh, and there's massive profit. Uh, if uh, It was to be 1.2 million euro of a loss to the Exchequer on a, a daily basis in Jenkinstown. Uh, what were they making a day and what they were producing? Around 10 million? Around 10 million, around 10, 10 million a day, they were, they were making. So it, it, tells you, it tells you how lucrative that market is for these people. So they're not going to go away. You know, even uh, if some of them are put away for three, four, five years, there's a cohort of these people that's out there and they're going to continually operate within the illegal market until such time as heavier and heavier penalties are imposed. Mm, Well, um, what do you think of uh, the penalties imposed in uh, Dundalk Circuit Court yesterday on the 11 men? Uh, There were some short sentences given, but for the most part, uh, there were suspended sentences. Suspended sentences, Michael. You know, like it beggars belief that people can get away with committing such offences against the state and walk away scot-free. You know, it it tells them, now be good little boys, don't do it again, uh, because if you do, you're going to go to jail. But the, the most likely case is that they will do it again. They will be back in the marketplace no later than 24 hours afterwards, and they will be doing the same thing. Mm. And there seems to be no end to it. Uh, I mean, if you take the last couple of weeks alone, the amount of contraband cigarettes uh, that has been seized by Gardaí and by Revenue, uh, and you spoke about how 
these cigarettes uh, are far worse than cigarettes are uh, when they're regulated because there's all sorts of uh, things in them. Uh, what was it you were talking about? Uh, horse manure and stuff like horse that? Manure, rat poison? Horse manure, rat, rat poison, you know, like all of that sort of stuff is, is, was mixed in with them. And, uh, you know, to, to us, as I said to you last week, Michael, the market... Uh, and the figures that have come from the revenue have gone from 18% to over 30%, taking into consideration this, both the smuggled and the illegal cigarettes and the duty-free cigarettes coming in from abroad. So there's, oh, there's a third of all cigarettes presently being smoked in this country that has no excise duty paid on them. Okay, well... Uh, it's, uh, I'm sure, uh, good news uh, that that uh, factory was closed down uh, when it was raided uh, five years ago and uh, justice has been served now uh, and uh, undoubtedly there's more work for the authorities to do based on what you tell us, Benny, about how big yes. that illegal trade is. Yes, indeed, there is a lot more work for the authorities to do, but we have to complement both the Gardaí customs and the revenue. And, of course, we must complement Toby also for... for his work in uh, sniffing out some of this stuff. Very good. Because, like, without that, uh, these dogs and without the revenue mm. and the customs, none of this is going to be seized. So mm. we must compliment all of them for their work in, in, in doing this. OK, thank you indeed. Benny Gilson, and spokesperson for Retailers Against Smuggling. Let me bring you some of uh, the comments coming to us. D Forbes should have to appear before one of uh, these committees, uh, says... A texter to the programme. She was, after all, employed by us uh, and paid by our licence fee and through our taxes. Thanks indeed. Sean in Dublin 9 says, looks like Noel Kelly was the real boss in RTE. He just walked in the front door and told the executives what to do. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Three bagfuls, sir. How many cars do you want this year, sir? Says Sean in his message to us. Uh, Someone in touch yesterday saying, why didn't the government find out what was being done with the money they gave to RTE? The dogs in the street knew Ryan Turbidy was a very well-paid man and the only one who will be working in the pubs today will be the barmen. Uh, anybody else in the pubs at 11 o'clock obviously unemployed thanks uh, for that uh, everyone's going to be glued to their screens uh, according to another texter who says it's the biggest cliffhanger since who shot Jay or uh, somebody else wondering if Ryan Tuberty set up a company before or after he was with RTE um, was he ever not with RTE <laughs> I mean his grandfather was on the original board of RTE and uh, I think uh, he began his career working uh, with Pat Kenny on RTE it's in the blood, isn't it? Um, we would somebody else uh, who said the first question he has to answer is when is he going to give uh, the money back? Um, somebody else says uh, that uh, he has done nothing wrong. Uh, who wouldn't take the money if they could get it? Another text that came to us from somebody yesterday who said, I hope you're going to watch the programme tonight on Primetime about the abuse of young animals at Mart's. Uh, and that you'll have a bit of time to talk about it in the morning. Today, in other words, uh, the animal abuse in this country is gone way beyond a joke. Well, did watch it, and we're going to talk about it next. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Now, if you were watching primetime on television last night, uh, you know nobody wants uh, these bull calves and uh, that uh, they are 
kicked, beaten with sticks, thrown on and off trailers, dragged by their ears, tails and legs. Uh, You'd have seen all of this on television last night and it was most disturbing. Pat McCormick, President of the ICMSA, the Irish Creamery Milk Suppliers Association, joins us now. And a very good morning to you, Pat. Thanks uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. You were disturbed yourself uh, by what RTE had filmed. Indeed, you were part of uh, the programme as people who watched it last night will know. Uh, But you say that this is not normal practice and it certainly isn't widespread. No, it's not. I suppose we must remember that there was in around 1.7 million dairy cows born in, in 2023. Um, you know, we saw probably when all was said and done, 20 minutes, the word disturbing footage. Um, I suppose some of it was, was New Zealand based and some of it was French based, but not less, um, you know, disturbing footage. Um, I suppose one incident is one too many. Um, certainly some people were blushing I think those marks that were highlighted, um, they need to do a bit of soul searching in the days ahead and, and it's probably fair to say what will come out of it. And we need we need to see the positives out of this and we need to see change out of this programme. Um, we need to see Mark Train put in place and we need to see the various laws and legislations that are there for European animal transport to be adhered to. And there are people that contributed to that programme last night that equally would be blushing in that regard. Um, you know, they didn't obey the, the time stoppages the 919 um, as regards hours uh, where there's a one hour stop in the middle that wasn't adhered to with that particular lorry mm. and uh, that is one lorry though too many to go and, and, and to do that um, but certainly you know we need to reflect we need to bring bring together um, the outcome and and implement a sort of change uh, because if not you know it's not sustainable um, it's absolutely paramount uh, the various laws across Europe and you know it may not be the Department of Agriculture's fault but they will certainly investigate it here they've given that commitment mm. we look forward to seeing the outcome of that investigation but you know other authorities whether they're the French the Spanish the Dutch the Danes um, and Polish they need to implement the EU law as well because we're, we're EU citizens we're part of the European Union what um, they are legislators uh, in making sure that Irish cares uh, arrive and observe the various European requirements during that transit. Yeah, what we saw was illegal, wasn't it? Uh, and what is uh, the consequence for acting illegally I- I- in the way that was broadcast? Well, well, I don't know, um, Michael. I, I don't know what the consequences are, but even from a road safety perspective, I'm sure there are consequences. Mm. Um, the tachograph, um, we seem to have broke, that, that seemed to happen um, as well. So that is a huge issue as regards the time uh, continuously for one road. So, you know, there's a lot of questions to be answered um, and, you know, let's hope that the department carry out these and mm. a swift uh, review of what has happened. Fran McNulty obviously highlighted a very, very uh, in the industry um, and need to strengthen that chain um, as a matter of urgency. It was a, an exceptionally well put to uh, put together program uh, if it is such a rarity for people uh, to be acting this way uh, it must be next to I mean the way you're um, presenting it is as if this was a needle in a haystack uh, if that is the truth how did they manage to get so much footage well I suppose they gave the last six months trying to put it together um, and that is that is the rationale behind it um, that's how they, they put it together if you I suppose give six months focused on one particular issue. Um, yes, uh, 
in around the hour the hour of entertainment uh, or otherwise uh, maybe that's not the right word to use mm. I know myself um, they interviewed me for just three minutes short to two hours um, and there was a very small piece of footage carried in the overall context of things um, so they had a lot of work put into it and they had a lot of filming done um, you know and obviously as a farm leader one would be disappointed this morning one would be disappointed last night and one would be disappointed at any point in time if they into the mart do you think it was an unfair reflection, though, on dairy farmers? You see, on dairy farmers, yes. On a minority of dairy farmers, possibly not. A very, very small minority. And that's the difficulty here. Um, you know, we need mm. to see those people that breed an animal that has very little genetic merit from a beef perspective. Mm. Um, and equally, uh, they're, they're, they're useless, obviously, uh, in every meaning of the word, in the eyes of some people, uh, and obviously I, I not in the eyes of others. I don't accept that. No, in the eyes of some people, the the, 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 the fellas throwing them off the trailers and that, or the fellas uh, pulling them by the tail. Uh, I mean, I was quite shocked to think you could pull a tail off. Well, the, the, those persons obviously have got no training in the marts, and that's extremely disturbing. Um, I mean, you group calves together at age two to four weeks old. Uh, I've seen them in local marts here where they, they group them together just inside the door and they will trot off down years uh, without, the use of, without the use of any mm. physical interference. Um, those persons clearly hadn't got much in the Okay. Uh, I'm not no. sure if you've moved there, Pat. Uh, the line has deteriorated uh, and uh, breaking up quite a, a, a bit. Uh, just uh, bring you a comment from Mary and Trim, who obviously thinks that it is a reflection on farmers. Uh, she talks about greedy farmers uh, who look on these animals as useless, worth nothing in this world. It's a horrible shame on all concerned, and it's all for money. Uh, she says uh, and uh, she says no matter who you interview um, uh, you have to make the point that the people involved didn't give a hoot well it certainly is, is apparent that the people involved didn't give a hoot um, she, I can't contradict her there um, whether that was the MART staff the MART management uh, the transporters but in the vast majority of cases and I'm talking about 99.5% of farm families um, it's a son, a daughter, a mother, a father, uh, or someone that takes pride in feeding those calves. Um, farmers get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, they don't know whether it's a bull calf or a heifer calf that's coming, but once they calf arrives, they give them the colostrum mm. in order to get, get them the best possible start in life. And as an individual, as a farmer, I'd be extremely disappointed if I took my calves to my mart and someone laid a stick on them. Um, they wouldn't have that stick going home. I'd certainly mm. take it off them and break it. Mm. Um, because that's that's what needs to happen. They've no business. They may not need a stick, though, if you hadn't fed the calf, uh, and the calf uh, is so hungry it can't even stand up. Uh, yeah, well, there's, no, there's mm. absolutely, um, you know, no uh, standing over a farmer not feeding a calf. Um, certainly the farmers I know, they have plenty of fresh milk, and that's milk that's not fit for, for the bull pink uh, during the spring period, and they would they would feed their calves. It's absolutely paramount that a calf is brought to the mart uh, at, a, at an age where they're fit for the mart and at a, at a condition where they're nourished uh, to be able for the day. Um, you know, there are a lot of farm-to-farm sales going on as well, um, where there's very little stress on the animals. So, you know, I suppose it is a very small snapshot of the overall industry, but it didn't reflect well on the industry. Mm. But it is a minority who are dragging back the majority. 
because the vast majority of farm families out there um, care for their animals. They're part of their livelihood. Uh, they're part of their home uh, because that's what a farm family is. Okay. Uh, they're very much part of their home and, and they're part of their heritage because it's passed on from one generation to the next in the best possible way. And, you know, they don't judge. Uh, a, f- a farmer isn't judged, he or she, on the care they drive. They're judged on the stock they bring to the okay. public, to the mart, uh, as regards how well they're doing their job. Well, I, I can see messages coming in. I don't think anybody likes what they saw. I, I, I know you didn't like what you saw either, Pat, no, uh, but no, we'll, we, no, we'll, we'll have to leave well, there for I, the moment. What, what, what we do now is it's how we deal with it and how we move forward. Fix mm. semen, uh, the dairy, beef index all have a significant part to play in producing an animal that's fit for purpose in our Irish grass-based beef industry and you know mm. almost 60 percent of the kill comes originates in the dairy herd so there is opportunity rather than this uh, beating ourselves okay pat i have to leave it there thank you indeed uh, for joining us pat mccormick is the president of uh, the icmsa Michael Reed on LMFM. Well, there really is no doubt. A lot of us were very disturbed watching prime time last night and uh, the treatment of those calf bulls. Uh, we've a WhatsApp message. We've a lot of messages uh, in relation to it. A WhatsApp message from somebody who says we need independent people at Marts and someone uh, to stay over uh, at Marts and stay over places for calves. Keep a, an eye on the health of these per animals, uh, says our caller. Hi, Michael, says somebody else. I look after over 100 calves when they are born and they are looked after until they go to the market and after that we have no control. Uh, I take it our caller is very disappointed uh, at what they saw on television last night. Um, we've uh, got uh, somebody else uh, who says uh, it's not making excuses um, there is or this is actually a message to Pat McCormick stop making excuses there's no justification on how your colleagues treat their animals uh, says Sharon she says cry when you think your herd will be cut uh, but yet uh, farmers are, are treating them the way that they do not feeding them is karma Thank you indeed, uh, Sharon, for that uh, as well. Uh, Some other messages, uh, text messages that have come to us uh, about this. Uh, As I say, a lot of people uh, very disturbed by what they said. Somebody uh, in touch saying, Pat said farmers care for their animals, but they don't if it's a bull calf. So sad. It's not going to stop, says Mick in Kells. Thanks uh, for that. Jerry and Wilkinson says, Hi, Michael. There have been reports for the last two years or more of farmers shooting newborn calves on their farms just because they're bull calves. I hope all those farmers are shut down and not allowed to have any animals ever again. Thank you. Alice says, Yes, last night's programme was so horrible, but nothing in comparison to what's happening in America, Mexico and New Zealand. Thanks, Alice. Christine says, get these men, put them in an enclosure, beat them with sticks and kick them and see how they like it. It was disgraceful to watch, says Christine. Thank you indeed uh, for that as well. Uh, Another text, uh, shocking and disgusting, uh, the way the calves were beaten and abused. Get these people Put them in an enclosed space. Uh, that's uh, Christine again. Um, uh, Eric Cuthbert in Dundalk says, I should set an example to the rest of the world and be the... Ireland should set, I take it, become the first country of vegetarians. 
thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else uh, giving out uh, about Benny Gilson and, uh, and uh, their concerns. That's uh, retailers uh, against smuggling concerns uh, about uh, cigarettes uh, and contraband cigarettes and smuggled cigarettes, saying uh, they've no interest in smokers' problems, just interested in uh, making sure that their pockets aren't empty. Thank you for that uh, as well. Um, we'd some people on the phone then about RTE. Uh, probably not too surprising given the day that is in it. Uh, it's going to be a very interesting day, uh, I'm sure, uh, to see Ryan Tuberty in the dock taking questions uh, with his solicitor behind him um, to advise him not to answer if it's inappropriate. I'm sure, though, that there won't be any inappropriate questions coming from uh, the skilled and experienced members of the two committees. Sheila says, Ryan Tuberty and his agent obviously plan on coming out fighting at this Oireachtas hearing given the statement they released at the last minute this morning. Sheila says all she wants to hear from them this morning is the truth. They need to be transparent and upfront with their responses. Only then do they stand any chance of regaining the trust of the public. Mary says Tuberty's appearance at the media committee this morning is just a face-saving exercise on his part. He's just trying to make sure that he can make some kind of comeback when the dust settles on this mess. Well, I don't think there's anybody would argue, uh, including Ryan Tuberty, uh, with what you think about making a comeback. Uh, and indeed, if he ever does come back, it, it will be a comeback. Um, Martin says uh, the TV licence fee should be scrapped altogether and RTE should operate on a subscription fee basis going forward. That would be a surefire way of determining whether or not RTE is as popular with the public as they seem to think they are. Thank you indeed uh, for that. Now, as uh, Shane Castles was telling us, uh, there were conflicting stories being told. That is in terms of the stories that we've heard so far from the RTE executive and management and the statements that have been given uh, to uh, the members of the Oireachtas committees uh, this morning. RTE has just issued a statement uh, and they say that an incorrect version of events is being presented to, to the Oireachtas committees regarding RTE's agreement to underwrite payments of €75,000 per contract year due to Mr. Tuberty. For clarity, the claim relates specifically to an email that was sent by the former CFO, Chief Financial Officer of RTE, to NK Management, Noel Kelly Management, in February of 2020, which is being characterised as a contractual commitment on the part of RTE to underwrite the payments in question. RTE does not accept this characterisation. RTE's position is that the email of the 20th of February 2020 formed part of the discussions and engagements between it and... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. 
and NK management in relation to the proposed, proposed new TV uh, and radio contract with Mr Tuberty Tuttle Productions and did not comprise a binding legal or contractual commitment on its part. RTE's position is, as per previous statements, that until the verbal commitment given by the former Director General during the call on the 7th of May 2020, it had not agreed to underwrite the 75,000 payment per contract. Uh, per year. Uh, that's uh, the statement, as I say, that's uh, just come from RTE uh, relating uh, to an email uh, going back uh, to February of 2020. Uh, interesting uh, indeed, uh, given that there's an email on the 21st of July 2020 from D Forbes to uh, Ryan Turbody uh, saying uh, that uh, there won't be any reductions in his pay uh, and uh, that uh, they want to um, make sure that uh, he was happy with the arrangement uh, that was put in place uh, in relation to the services he provided to RTE uh, back in April of 2020. Uh, this will all make for interesting stuff when it goes to the committee today. There is no doubt about it and I, I'm sure... Uh, there'll be a few more spanners in the works. It, it seems at this stage uh, that everybody's trying to blame everybody else. And when that happens, uh, I take it then that somebody usually ends up falling on their sword, as uh, the case may be. Anyway, we'll have a, a lot more of that later, unless you want to comment on it now. And as, as always, you're welcome to make comment on the programme. Our telephone number is 0419832000. That's 0419832000. You can text us or WhatsApp on 08. 08- 861-800-658 email michael at lmfm.ie Now the uh, Oroctus Committee rooms are preparing uh, for the appearance of, of these now infamous people Ryan Tuberty and Noel Kelly and their solicitor in just under an hour it'll be the turn of the Public Accounts Committee. The Deputy Chair of that committee is Social Democrat TD Catherine Murphy. So putting wrong information into the Dáil record about the top-up to Ryan Tuberty um, is what, what started some of the, the inquiries here. And by extension, not only was, it was the Dáil misled, but the public were led by, misled by extension. The last thing we need now is more of this. And RTE needs, not, a forensic accountant won't find that, but, they, but going through the emails, going through uh, the correspondence in that department, um, that has to be established um, about what was known by people who come in to this doll and told us they didn't know about it. I, need, we, I believe we need uh, to see much uh, greater transparency in the future. Uh, for exam- example, I think we need to see registers um, of our declarations of interests, particularly with contractors. Through a recent set of parliamentary questions I tabled about influence, influencers, I discovered some people can earn quite a lot of additional money. Durin Garrity was paid 20000 promoting horse racing festival, uh, actually Cheltenham, by the publicly funded Horse Racing Ireland, incredibly promoting uh, an event in, in, a different, in a different jurisdiction. Owen McGee, was, uh, who hosted a TV programme about his book, How to Be Good with Money, and we all want to see people being good with money, was paid 17 by the Competition and Consumer Protection uh, uh, Commission. Those kind of issues need to be put on a register so as we can see full transparency. Um, I want to see um, 
several things change. And indeed, uh, I think people expect several things uh, to change. Uh, that might give you a feel of uh, the type of questions uh, that Catherine Merton Murphy will be asking later uh, today, the Vice Chair of uh, the Public Accounts Committee. Interesting to hear her talk about uh, these independent companies set up by staff at RTE who aren't staff at RTE because they're contractors and self-employed so they set up these companies so that they can charge RTE for the work that they do uh, and indeed uh, how they do other work uh, sometimes. What is it uh, that Total Productions does? This is Ryan Tuberty's independent company. Uh, I mean could you ring up Total Productions and get him to go up to Renault in Dundalk uh, or did Renault and Dundalk have him appear there because Renault was uh, sponsoring the Late Late Toy Show uh, or, or the Late Late Show wasn't it uh, and uh, that that was part of the deal that RTE ended up paying for and then sending a producer to Dundalk to make sure that uh, it didn't look like an RTE event. Uh, the whole thing is uh, beyond uh, comprehension uh, to uh, people outside of Montrose, I would imagine, uh, and indeed, I imagine it's beyond comprehension to the vast majority of people who work for RTA, for that matter. Anyway, uh, that first committee will get underway in three quarters of an hour, and we'll have a whole day of it because the second committee will won't be sitting until three o'clock this afternoon. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, Social welfare should be increased by €25 a week. The qualified qualified child increase payment by €15 for over 12s and €10 for under 12s. And there should also be an additional once-off targeted lump sum paid to low-income families to help them with uh, the cost of heating over the winter. This is uh, according uh, to the pre-budget submission that is being given to the government today by the children's charity Bernardo's and we're joined by Stephen Moffat who's National Policy Officer with Bernardo's. A very good morning to you Stephen. Thank you indeed for joining us on the programme today. You're asking the government to take a targeted uh, approach uh, and to put money back into the pockets of families who need it most? Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, You know, our biggest concern, what we'd like to see the government focus most on in in this upcoming budget, uh, is to relieve uh, the huge financial pressures that parents uh, find themselves under, uh, and particularly low-income parents, um, and to prevent more children being pulled into deprivation. Um, I think that's that's just the key thing, you know, at a time when, you know, the, the economy is doing quite well, we shouldn't be seeing more children falling into deprivation and poverty. And unfortunately, that's what we've seen happen over the last year. Uh, an increase of €25 Euro in social welfare rates uh, would be unheard of, really, wouldn't it? Uh, there's never been an interest, an increase on that scale previously. No, we certainly haven't seen it um, before. You know, there was a, a sizable increase last year, about €12. Euro. Um, you know, the reason we're calling for such a large, seemingly large amount, is that is the gap between what your social welfare... Uh, would have gotten you uh, last year in comparison to inflation uh, over the last 12 months. So it does seem like a large amount, but it's really just to, to keep up people's standards of living and make sure that they're, they're not dropping. Uh, because unfortunately, if they, they don't go up that, that degree, it means children across the countries um, you know, who are reliant, whose families are reliant on those payments, they're going to see their quality of childhoods uh, decrease. Mm, okay, uh, and that uh, would help people to pay uh, the cost 
of day-to-day living, but reducing those costs uh, is also part of uh, the submission that uh, you're making today. One of the biggest uh, outgoings that parents have uh, is to do with uh, children going to school, uh, the cost of school books, uh, uniforms and voluntary contributions, uh, and you've made recommendations in respect of all of those things. Yeah, absolutely. We saw last year government take a really positive, progressive step to eliminate um, uh, the cost of uh, school books for primary schools. We think, you know, now's the time to take a step forward, provide that to all secondary schools as well. We know the price for those uh, parents is always higher for secondary schools as uh, compared to primary schools. Uniforms are still a massive issue. Um, you know, that's not something uh, it would cost the government any money to address. Uh, it's just for the Department of Education uh, to step in, uh, introduce you know more uh, more concrete measures to prevent schools, you know, insisting that parents spend huge amounts of money on branded uniforms. Uh, and in terms of addressing voluntary contributions, you know, we would like to see them abolished, eliminated. No parents should be uh, feeling pressurised to, to pay for them. Uh, but at least at, the, at an absolute minimum. You know, we need to see more transparency around voluntary contributions. Um, parents can't be chased up on them, uh, and they can't be covering essential issues. You know, we've heard of schools where they, um, you know, if you don't pay your voluntary contribution, your child doesn't get access to a locker, doesn't get a journal, that sort of thing. Mm. Why, why do we keep talking about these things? Um, uh, it seems as though it's eluded every minister for education to bring about change. In respect of the contributions and the uniform issue, I mean, I can remember discussions and debates about this going back 25 years. I think, you know, for the uniform issue, some of it is, you know, wanting to take a hands-off approach, uh, thinking that uh, local schools, board of management principals will, will, will do the right thing. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that isn't always the case. In many schools it is. Principals do introduce affordable uniform options, but too often it isn't the case that, you know, potentially they, they like to see uh, their students, pupils, and what they see as nice branded uh, uniforms, which could also be branded tracksuits, branded coats. Uh, and some parents might agree with that. But we just don't think it's acceptable that, you know, parents are children living in low-income uh, homes. You know, or their parents are going through huge financial pressures just so that other, you know, parents uh, have their children in uniforms that they, they sort of like. Uh, so that, I think, is one of the reasons this department has been maybe too hands-off on some of these issues. Yeah, well, I suppose um, there's a lot of reasons uh, for the old school tie attitude uh, as it might be perceived uh, and that people like uh, their school to be seen as the best. It could be a type of snobbishness to, to say that I go to the school and that's why I'm wearing the expensive uniform uh, and there's plenty of well-heeled people who are happy to pay for those uniforms. Uh, but there should at least be the choice, should there not? Yeah, absolutely. And that's what we would be. We would certainly be saying is that you need to provide the choices, the options. Uh, you know, <clears throat> there's no reason why, you know, even if a branded uniform is mm. quite expensive and, you know, um, parents may want to have that. There's no reason why uh, schools can't provide a choice where uh, other children have iron-on crests, you know, where they're able to go out, buy mm. generic uniforms, 
uh, and iron-on crests onto their jumpers. And it has no impact on the other children around them. Um, so it just seems like a really sensible option. Hmm. Um, and again, it's just you know more compulsion on schools to adopt that attitude. And it, it wouldn't necessarily put those smaller shops out of, of business that are, are selling these branded uniforms. No, because if there's still an appetite amongst parents uh, mm. that want to go there and use them, uh, they'd still be uh, entitled to do so. Mm. What it's doing is just preventing uh, children in low-income families who are you know, facing huge financial pressures uh, from mm. feeling these increased costs every year. Yeah, but it, it falls on deaf ears every year, and it has, a, a, as I say, as far as I can remember, for at least... 25 years, uh, 10 years ago, uh, it must be 10 if not 15 years ago, the Minister for Education was Rory Quinn and he made a significant intervention uh, and it looked like there was going to be change uh, but it ended up uh, being little more than a letter to school principals uh, and uh, another letter to parents to ask them to also ask uh, school principals. But it's down to the principals and the boards, isn't it? And uh, if they don't see this as an injustice to people who can't afford the uniforms, uh, it's going nowhere. Yeah, and that's exactly it. It is, it is an injustice. And I, and I think it's, you know, it's, this has to come from, you know, the bottom up from, from parents uh, sort of talking to schools uh, and principals, boards of management, listening to them, uh, trying to convince them over time, saying that this is the right thing to do. And it also has to come from the top down. So it has to come from the Department of Education. That letter was a positive uh, step, that, you know, the circular... Yeah. But look, we, the department needs to step in further and start saying, right, what other measures can they put in to make it mandatory? Again, coming back to that there's an option. It's not mandatory that all schools, like every child has to have a non-branded uniform. It's just that all schools have, a, have an option for a non-branded uniform for an affordable option. Mm, OK, and um, there's a lot more to your pre-budget, excuse me, subsi- uh, submission. Uh, and uh, like... Uh, an awful lot of people young and old there's a lot of concern about homelessness and you're calling on the government to do something uh, to help keep children in homes with a a roof over their head yeah absolutely we know you know we see it ourselves and the children that we support I was chatting to a family a couple of weeks ago who you know it's a lone parent Uh, she is extremely worried going to be made homeless told about going into emergency accommodation with three young children. She's just really concerned about the trauma, traumatic impact that's going to have on her, on her children. We think we need to reduce the amount of children going in as much as possible. We know that will take time in terms of pulling children out of emergency accommodation because of housing, uh, social housing being built. But one step the government can take is looking at housing assistance payments, seeing what rates uh, and what... <coughs> what rates could be increased, where they can be increased, uh, to try and do as much as possible to make sure that children aren't going into emergency accommodation. Uh, we know that emergency accommodation itself is extremely expensive for government. You know, so looking at HAP rates uh, is, is a sensible option uh, and could potentially reduce that trauma that children experience. Mm, OK, I suppose the overall message uh, from Bernardo's is uh, to the government... Uh, asking them uh, to stop children from going into poverty and to do that uh, by targeting those who are most at risk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, now's an opportunity to to do the right thing, uh, use finances that we've we've built up, uh, that the economy's doing well, uh, and set ambitious goals, really, for improving the lives of, uh, you know, children experiencing disadvantage. 
Okay, Stephen, we leave there for the moment. Thank you indeed for joining us this morning. Stephen Moffat is uh, the National Policy Officer with Bernardo's. Thanks uh, to Jackie, who is WhatsApping us uh, this morning, saying, Michael, I, I feel sick to my very core. I'm so disturbed about what has been revealed and what happens to these vulnerable and innocent creatures. These are the calf bulls that we saw being mistreated on primetime last night. Even listening and thinking about them hurts me. They are living, breathing creatures. They feel like us. The mindsets of those who perpetrate this cruelty should be concerning to all of us as a society. Thank you very much indeed, Jackie, uh, for that. Uh, Another text from Tony in Drogheda who says there was a horrific scene in Bellewstown on Saturday as a horse fell at the last hurdle. Um, I, I couldn't bear to see the outcome, so I went home. What impression did young children in the fairground right beside me get from this awful occurrence, says Tony in Drogheda. Thanks, Tony. I, I don't know. I've only been to the races a handful of times. Uh, the last time I was at the races was in Dundalk and a, a horse fell like that uh, and broke its leg. Uh, that was it. Curtains for the horse. Uh, and it literally was curtains uh, or screens. Big screens were brought out onto the track um, to cover the horse uh, as it was being put down. Um, it's the last time I've been at the race. I, I, I was at the races and uh, I, I don't think I have the stomach to go back to the races, to be honest. So I think I understand what you're talking about, Tony, and thanks indeed uh, for sharing your message with us. Our telephone number is 0419832000 if you want to comment on our programme today. And as always, we'd love to hear from you. That's 0419832000 if you want to ring us. If you want to send a text message, you can text it on 0861800658 or you can WhatsApp it on the same number 0861800658 email michael at lmfm.ie Michael, michael Reed on, on LMFM Asylum seekers uh, coming uh, to this country quite often spend very long periods of time in limbo uh, where they've applied for asylum but um, spend Time in direct provision centres like the one in Mosny waiting for their application to be processed. It can take many years, sometimes 12 or 13 years, as we've been hearing in the past, uh, before people are given a decision and leave to stay in this country granted refugee status or denied leave to stay and deported as a result. Uh, The Minister for Justice has introduced a number of measures to streamline the process and uh, says that there is now a new target of a thousand first instance decisions per month, which will be met by spring of next year, which is far more than the 200 decisions per month made in 2021. Let's uh, speak to John Lannan, who's uh, the CEO of Duras, uh, an organisation that works with uh, people coming into this country. And a very good morning to you, John, and thanks indeed for joining us on the programme. Uh, the delays have not been good for anybody and you have uh, uh, welcomed uh, the Minister's um, announcement uh, but with some caution I think 
Indeed, and good good morning to, to you and listeners. Um, so it's it's positive to hear the minister talking about a fair, balanced, rules based approach to our international protection systems. Um, you know, broadly, we 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 welcome that, and and what their their ambition is in terms of ensuring an increased output from the international protection office. But um, we we need to ensure that it the, the process does remain fair and and balanced that it's thorough that we have the proper supports in place for people who are going through the system. And and one thing in particular that's absolutely essential is the need to ensure that people have access to legal advice as, as they're as they're going through the system. Because it can be difficult to present your case, particularly if you're um, have just experienced um, trauma, displacement, you've left everything behind um, and, and this is why our um, legal aid board um, exists, is to help people in, in situations like this. So it's important that the Minister and the Department of Justice do ensure that there are adequate resources there to um, assist people through mm. the, the, the process. Yeah, and especially, too, for people uh, who quite often won't have English. Absolutely, yes. So there's a whole suite of supports that are needed there from the moment that people arrive and to start filling in the paperwork that, that's necessary for, for the application to ensure that there's um, there, there are interpreters, there are supports there in place. It, it's also important to recognise that, that people are, are very um, likely to be quite vulnerable and, and may have, as I said, experienced um, trauma. They, they need access to, to medical support, medication perhaps in, in many cases. Um, and, and it's important that those vulnerabilities are identified and that the um, state responds appropriately as well to ensure that people's needs are met. And again, from the moment that they arrive in the state, right through the process of, of making their application. Okay, the Minister has said uh, there'll be an increase in staff working on these applications. Uh, Will there be a similar increase in uh, the resources that are made available to the people who are making the applications? Well, we we hope so. And and there are a number of aspects to this. So there's the need for the additional resources in the the Legal Aid Board. Um, There's the need to ensure that the Appeals Tribunal and the International Protection Appeals Tribunal exists for a very important reason, which is that in some cases people are not successful in their application the first time round with the International Protection Office. They have a right to appeal that. Those appeals also need to be done um, sp- speedily and, and fairly. So capacity needs to exist at all stages in in the process um and and as i said you know the the necessity for resources to support applicants for international protection goes beyond the legal stuff but it's also ensuring their medical needs are met and that their other basic needs that they get access the basic accommodation needs that 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 people have are met as well we've seen people on the streets in tents there are still people in a number of locations around the country in in tents there are people in unsuitable accommodation and that that needs to be addressed as well as part of the the, the bigger challenge that the state has when it comes to providing accommodation for refugees okay uh, why is it that people come to Ireland seeking uh, asylum from safe countries so 
Um, there, there are a number of countries that are listed or designated as safe, but that doesn't mean that they're safe for everybody. So it's still possible that people who have um, been born, been reared, who have lived in that in, in in a country like Georgia, for example, or South Africa, are are targeted, are harassed, or are addressed because of their um, ethnicity, perhaps because of their sexual orientation. Um, or, or for other reasons. So they too, like everybody else, have a right to, to be able to seek international protection here if they need to. Okay, uh, and sometimes without documents, why would that be? So again, we, we have to bear in mind that um, if somebody needs to escape quickly from a war zone or from a torture centre or from persecution or, or abuse that they're experiencing. They don't have time to, to gather all of the, the necessary paperwork that we we might be able to take with us when we're going on holidays someplace. So very often people have to flee, they have to seek sanctuary and, and protection um, in, in whatever way they can, with whatever paperwork they can. And they do have a right to do that because our International Protection Act makes it clear that anybody who arrives at the borders of the state, either lawfully or unlawfully, has a right to seek protection here. Mm. I, I suppose if the Taliban were looking for you and wanted to kill you because you had been an interpreter for the Americans uh, when they were in Afghanistan, you wouldn't be asking them for a visa or a passport. Uh, you'd get out before they killed you. And in the same way, I suppose, in Uganda, if uh, you were LGBTQ+, plus or uh, of a, a different sexual orientation than the law allows, you may get out of the country without a, a visa or a passport before they killed you for being a homosexual. Absolutely, yes. I mean, we we are um, in in contact with people who are in Afghanistan or are family members mm. in Afghanistan who can't get out of the the country right now and are in mortal fear of their lives as a, as a result of their presence within the country and one person that comes to mind is somebody who's worked as as a reporter for for many years and has been targeted by the Taliban. If he has the opportunity to get out of the country, he will take it by whatever means he can in order to save his life. Mm. And and this is the these these are the, the the situations that face many people that arrive here seeking international protection. And and we have to remember this and we always have to um Bear in mind that the people who come here seeking international protection have done so because they have to, because they were at risk or because there was a, an urgency about their need to travel. People risk their lives. We see the death in the Mediterranean. We see the, um, the fact that people get onto boats that are terribly unsafe in order to try to find safety, security or a better life for themselves and their families. Mm. I, I take it they don't do that lightly. I'm sure they've heard uh, the stories of uh, death and how the Mediterranean has become a big watery grave. Absolutely. And, and you're, you're, you're perfectly right. You know, people do not go on to the water and not to those boats unless they're safer or a better option than their been on the land in, in um, northern Africa or, or in the Middle East or whatever part of the country they've, they've come from. And, you know, we, we know that 
Right now, there are over 100 million people in the world who have been forcibly displaced from their homes. We get a small trickle of those to Ireland. You know, we have legal obligations and we've also got moral obligations as well here as well. And I'd have to say that by and large, over the last few decades, as people have started to arrive Mm. in, in Ireland... Communities have been welcoming, communities have been open. We've recognised the huge value that diversity has brought and the skill sets that people have brought from around the world. Mm. Just look at our healthcare sector, you know, and the numbers of health professionals working as doctors or nurses from different parts of the world. And we see the huge importance that they, um, pe- people bring to to. Um, and value they bring to, to our communities and society. And I suppose life has uh, improved somewhat uh, for asylum seekers in this country uh, over the last 10 years let's say in that um, we had a situation uh, where they were provided with uh, food and board and allowance of uh, 20 euro and uh, that's increased somewhat. You mentioned the Catherine Day report uh, and she recommended uh, that the process for um, processing the applications would be streamlined, be expedited and be quicker than has been the case because people have been here left languishing for years in that situation in direct provision with little or or, or no life becoming institutionalised. As I say, that's uh, improved somewhat, uh, but the system of direct provision continues. uh, And that was one of uh, the main recommendations uh, that Catherine Day made uh, to end that system of uh, direct provision. Uh, But very little prospect of of that at the moment, it would seem. Um, Sadly, that's true. Um, The the white paper on ending direct provision was welcome um, from from government when when we had it. circumstances since then have resulted in increased numbers seeking international protection here. We've had tens of thousands of people arriving from Ukraine as as well who, who needed to be provided with accommodation. But uh, so we we've now got um you know eight to nine hundred um centres being used as emergency or temporary accommodation for people from Ukraine or, or um for, from other asylum seekers and Worryingly, there are no adequate standards or oversight when it comes to the welfare and, and issues like, like child protection. There, we don't have um, mechanisms to ensure that staff are, are adequately trained in, in these centres. And we've now had people who have been living um, in, in temporary accommodation in hotels for, for over a year having come here from, from Ukraine. So we do need to see um, a mid to long term plan from um, government as to how that over-reliance in the hospitality sector, the dependency on temporary and emergency accommodation that in many cases isn't fit for purpose, is going to be addressed. And Because the, the reality is that you know, a, a significant proportion of the people who have had to come here um, to, to seek protection will remain here in Ireland. And, and they should be welcomed and, and they will contribute hugely to our society. But we've got to get the, the reception, the accommodation and the integration right. Okay. Uh, there's reforms of the application system, uh, the way the interviews take place and the way the decisions are being made. Uh, ha- have you any concerns about those changes or 
have you uh, uh, an understanding of uh, what's going to happen and will people continue uh, to be treated fairly? Well, we, we, we have, you know, called for, for many years, like others have, for speeding up of the process so that people are not left languishing in direct provision or um, that their lives are not in limbo for, for many years um, as a result of the delays in the system. But we do also have to ensure that it's fair to to everybody. And as I said, that people have access to um, legal advice, that they've got access to, to interpreters, that they're assisted through the process and they're not rushed through. Because the, the consequences of, of rushing people through too quickly is that there will be a build-up at the, the appeal stage and that will also need to be addressed as well in terms of the, the resources that, that are made available. Um, so it's, it's important to ensure that all of the pieces fall into place here and that we don't, as I said, um, find or that the, the Department of Justice don't create a situation where, where people are being rushed through the system, filling in the questionnaire too quickly without the necessary supports to, to do that and, and then at, at risk um, of not getting the protection that they need and that they deserve. OK. We have to leave it there for the moment, John, and thank you, as always, for joining us here on the programme today. John Lannan, CEO of Duras. Michael Reed on LMFM. Time now, as is usual, around this time on a Tuesday for our weekly visit to the Garda Crime Desk. As usual, there's a number of incidents Garda are investigating locally. Perhaps you can assist with those investigations. Sergeant Mark Doran joins us from Laytown Garda Station for this week's report. Thanks for doing that. And we're going to start with a burglary that occurred in Dundalk on Friday gone by. That's right, Michael. Good morning to your listeners there uh, on this day. Uh, Michael, correct, yes. Burglary on the 7th of July, uh, just gone there at, in the Cathedral View area of the Ramparts there in Dundalk. It occurred between the hours of half eight in the morning and 12 midday. Entries gained to the property using using a, a force and a quantity of cash and jewellery was stolen. Now, that would be an, an unusual time of the day for a crime of this of this nature. So we're asking any members of the public who live in that area that if they saw anything or any vehicles that are acting suspicious in the Cathedral View area of the Ramparts, to give the Dock Garda Station ring on 042-938-400 or the Garda Confidential line on 1-800-666-111. All right, that was between half eight and uh, 12, in the morning and 12 noon. Right. Um, a, another early burglary, uh, not quite as early, that early. occurred in Oldcastle then on Wednesday. A burglary that also resulted in the theft of a car. That's correct, Michael. Yeah, on the 5th of July uh, at the, in, in the Lock Crew area of Oldcastle in County Mead, a burglary occurred where, a, where, a, where a, a 172 registered Nissan Jeep was stolen. Our information is that it occurred in around the 12.30 time slot of the day in the afternoon. The Jeep is silver in colour. I want to ask anyone in the Lock Crew area of Oldcastle or any of the townlands that are adjacent to that area that may have spotted that vehicle or one similar driving maybe at speed and have dash cam footage or, or would have a vivid memory to help its investigation, we would appreciate a call to Kells Garda Station there on 046-928-0820 or again the Garda Confidential line on one 666 Now to Dunboyne uh, where some motorists have had damage done to their cars. That's right, Michael. Yeah, again, on the, between the 4th and 5th of July, late, 
late night, early morning, a person, a person residing in the in the Kilbrina Crescent estate there of Dunboyne had the tyre slashed in the hours of 11pm and 6am. We're asking anyone that would, that lives in the Kilbrina area that may have been going to work early in the morning or maybe coming home late at night who saw anyone or any vehicles acting suspicious to give Ashburn a ring there on 01. 01- 801 please. And to some criminal damage then that uh, occurred in Mornington. That's right, Michael. Again, in uh, in the St Mary's area of Mornington, uh, damage had been done to a house there between the days the 5th and 8th of July. Windows were broken, uh, an oil tank was knocked over and other damage caused to the property. We're asking anyone that might, might have been in that, that neck of the woods uh, who saw uh, a person or indeed a group of people uh, on the property or in around the property in the St Mary's area of Mornington to give Ashburn a ring on 018010600 or again the Garda Confidential Line on 1800 all right, uh, to Navin, where a man was out for a walk at night and found uh, himself to have been assaulted. Yeah, absolutely, Michael. Yeah, yeah, bad one, this one now. Uh, on the on the R147 in Navin, a man was out walking at approximately part to 11 at night when he was approached by a lone single male and uh, he received an assault uh, incurring minor injury to his face. Now, the DJ party in this case uh, uh, gave a um, statement to Gardy and he said that that male was uh, was uh, intoxicated and we, we are requesting any member of the public who was in around that area, either in the car or out for walk themselves, who, who have witnessed the assault or indeed may have saw a man intoxicated soon after that, around that time, around that location, to give Navin a ring on 046 903 6100. All right, nasty stuff. We leave it there, though. Thank you indeed. Uh, we return to the Garda Crime Desk in around the same time on next Tuesday's programme. With our thanks today to Sergeant Mark Doran of Laytown Garda Station. Now, before we leave you, some more of uh, the comments uh, coming to us. Uh, Sheila in touch with us uh, about cutting hedges. Uh, and she wonders who is running the Department of the Environment. She says they need their heads examined because of silly rules and regulations. They only allow hedge cutting for four months of the year and it's prohibited for the other eight months. Uh, Sheila thinks this is ludicrous. Absolutely ludicrous, she says, because birds are not nesting for eight months of the year. So why are farmers and landowners being restricted in this way? It's unfair, she says. Why are these rules being made up by people who have no experience of rural life? I don't know if that's fair, Sheila. Uh, I think uh, you need a hedge to have grown to a certain extent anyway before a bird will nest in it. They're not going to nest in one that's been uh, just recently cut uh, because it doesn't give them the protection that they need. And uh, some birds... uh, will go two or three times, as the case may be, uh, and over the course of a a number of months. uh, But maybe um, there is uh, some truth in what you say about eight months and if that's necessary. Uh, But I think most people are able to get their hedges cut uh, to... uh, what it would concern, consider to be a safe uh, state of affairs uh, for the most part. Uh, I think most people work around uh, the four months uh, that hedge cutting is allowed. Uh, I 
could be wrong. Sheila, thanks uh, for your call. Uh, we'd uh, another uh, message uh, then that uh, came to us from Betty, uh, following on from prime time last night. Uh, Betty says we should call the farmers who slay bull calves the Herod, Herod uh, uh, farmers like King Herod, uh, looking for baby boys to kill. Uh, she says uh, thanks uh, for that. Uh, Betty, Jared Brady, and Clongill Wilkinstown says. Uh, the fuel allowance needs to go up to €50 Euro a week at least to help cover all of the increases in fuel. Uh, and no sign of it coming down again. Jared Brady, not uh, particularly uh, optimistic at the thoughts of that. Uh, Tommy NRD uh, saying, uh, can't wait to hear what Ryan Tuberty has to say for himself today uh, when he goes before these committees in the Dáil. Hopefully he'll be able to tell us uh, if he was able to donate any of his massive salary to the children who were haunting him. He said they were haunting him because of uh, the poverty that they were living in. Uh, if he was that disturbed by it, uh, why was he uh, accepting hu- such a huge salary? And what did he do with that salary? He said this is not a, a legal question, but it is a question of morals and if he was truly haunted by children living in poverty did he do something with all of his wealth to help those children to come out of poverty Uh, and uh, when it it came to COVID uh, Tommy says we were well used to Ryan Tuberty saying we were all in it together but it seems that that was not the case at all at all. Marjorie uh, is in Dundalk and she says she's sick to the teeth of all the stuff about RTE and uh, the shenanigans uh, that have been taking place there with people in the inner circle it seems who have been lining their pockets and the pockets of friends jobs for the boys and money for the girls flip-flopping at the taxpayers cost it really is beyond belief I don't want to hear any more about it I just want to hear that they're gone and that it won't happen again and that I can get on with my life uh, because I have other things that are more important in my life to worry about, like where I'm going to get the money for the ESB bill that has been sitting on my table for the last four weeks. Thank you indeed. We make that the final word today. Maggie McGuire researched. Chris was in the control tower. I'm Michael, and God willing, we'll see you for our next programme, which will be tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie.